Good morning. Merry almost Christmas. You know what? You Each one of you gave me a Christmas present. I want to thank you. Watching you come into church today. I know there's a lot going on this time of year. And to see you here in the house of the Lord, just to worship him. Busy schedules. So much to do. But what a blessing each one of you is to me. Thank you for being here. We've been going through the book of Psalms, if you noticed. And today we're in Psalm 143, 143. And at first, I, when I first started studying it, I realized where it was going to fall in the schedule. I thought, wow, this is not much of a psalm or message for the Christmas season. But the more I studied it, the more I realized, you know what, this might be the perfect psalm for this time of year. Because if, if you saw all the other psalms, David writes with such, all the psalmists write with such passion, there's the human emotions are explored in every psalm we've been studying with Pastor Mark and with Rob. And we come to this psalm at this time of year, and, and this psalm deals with the emotion of stress, overload, becoming overwhelmed by our problems and our troubles. If you're somebody that every so often, or maybe more often than not, is overwhelmed by life. Troubles just seem to pile up and there's times where you don't know how you're going to get through your day. If you ever feel like that, this psalm was written just for you. And I'll tell you how I know that, because I know this psalm was written just for me. This psalm is David's urgent prayer for guidance and deliverance. Guidance. Lord, show me where I'm supposed to go. Show me what to do in this situation I find myself in today. And deliverance. Father, save me. Help me get out of here. Lead me. Guide me. Rescue me. Wow, Psalm 143 has a lot. Before we read it together, please, let's pray together. Dear Father, we, we just come tell you how much we love you. You are our God, and we just pray, Father, as we open your word, you are the revealer of truth. You are truth, and we seek your truth this morning. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to to hear you as we've never heard you before. And for those of us, Lord, that are going through difficulties right now, we're, we're wrestling, we're struggling. There are events in our lives, Lord, that have us confused and depressed and puzzled and we don't know where the end is in sight. Father, please speak to, speak to us. Don't let us leave here the way we came in, Father. Change our hearts. Help us see the promises you have for us when we're suffering, when we're hurt, because you love us so much. Thank you, Father, in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You have your Bibles? Psalm 143. You can't have it. (laughs) Thank you. That's so great. Thank you. Psalm 143. Uh, If you read it this week, you were blessed. If you haven't read it this week, you'll be blessed right now. Let's read it together. Psalm 143 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in thy faithfulness, in thy righteousness. Do not enter, enter into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight... No man living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. 
He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled within me. Verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy doings. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch out my hands to thee. My soul longs for thee as a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide thy face from me, lest I become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in thee. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to thee I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in thee. Verse 10. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Let thy good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of thy name, O Lord, revive me. In thy righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. And in thy loving kindness cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. I think you can tell from reading that that when David wrote this, he wasn't on vacation. This isn't the kind of prayer you pray when you're sitting in the sun and it's a beautiful day and you're under an umbrella and the waves are lapping up and you have no troubles in your life. David wrote this when he was at the end of his rope. You could see he felt he was going down to the pit. He saw no end in sight. He was desperate. If you've ever found yourself in that desperate place where you did not know how you were going to maybe make it the next minute or next hour, you know how this feels. You don't need me to to describe it to you. Here's the outline for Psalm 143. It's 12 verses that divide very neatly in half. This is a prayer of David in which the first half he's praying, hear me, hear me second half of his prayer he's saying answer me the big idea for Psalm 143 is going to teach us two very important facts of life absolute facts of life first fact severe trials will come the word of God does not sugarcoat it for us hey everything's going to be okay you come to the Lord everything's going to be fine no severe trials will come second fact of life The Lord is our only hope. What's the difference between a severe trial and a minor trial? That's a little bit like asking what's the difference between major surgery and minor surgery. As far as surgery goes, here's the answer. Minor surgery is what other people have. Major surgery is anything that happens to me. I'm not trying to make light of trials. I'm only saying that every trial we go through is painful. And it doesn't matter how big it is sometimes. Every trial we take in our lives, we take on, takes a toll on our lives. Sometimes it's not the size of the trial, it's the timing. You're dealing with one problem, and before you can finish one problem, a second problem shows up. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect illustration. <laughs> and while you're dealing with problems one and two, 
Problem three arrives. And just when you think you can't take any more, here comes problem number four. And this new problem is probably, maybe it even looks small on the surface, but for you, with everything else you're dealing with, you crumble because you've exceeded the maximum weight load capacity that you can bear. When you find yourself overwhelmed or overcome by your circumstances, please hear this, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It doesn't mean you're a weak Christian. What it means is you're human and you need a very big God. That's the message of Psalm 143. One of the outstanding characteristics of David, we've seen this in all the Psalms that Pastor Mark has been teaching and, and Rob. David has no inhibitions when he prays. He is brutally honest when he presents himself to the Lord. He, unedited, unfiltered, David just expresses himself to God. Never makes excuses for himself. Very open, very honest. It's my prayer that we would all learn to pray like this. Verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your loving kindness. I'd read that totally wrong. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. Hear my prayer. That's how this psalm, this prayer begins. Hear my prayer. You realize how wonderful that is? We have a God that hears us. He hears. Don't you want to be heard? Especially when you're in need. He hears. He hears what you're going through. No matter where you are, he hears what you're going through. And because he hears, he answers. I want to read you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He's a theologian that's usually pretty serious, but somebody caught up with him when he was in a feisty mood about prayer. Let me read to you what he wrote about prayer. He said, It is a theory held by some persons of skeptical minds that the only benefit of prayer is the good it does to us. Oh, do they think us such idiots that we would go on speaking in a keyhole with nobody to hear us? Do they think us brought so low, so destitute of wit that we think it worth our while to speak out what is in our heart if God does not hear and does not answer? Then Spurgeon says, I reckon prayer to be the most idiotic of all occupations unless there be really a God to hear and a God to answer. And the benefit of prayer then is the full confidence that prayer is a real thing and an effective thing that God does hear and does intercede on our behalf. Prayer. When you pray, how carefully does God listen to you? I've been told by my family, and I know this is not true, but they would say it's true, that if I'm watching football or something and they're talking to me, they can be right next to me talking and I'm not listening. I know that doesn't really happen, but they seem to think it does. Is God like that? You have to get God's attention before he'll hear you? Psalm 139, verse 4. This is another psalm of David. Psalm 139, verse 4. David wrote this. David wrote, Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. I see some heads nodding. You know this to be true. Even before you speak, he's listening. He hears it. He hears it in your heart before you speak it. 
That's how attentive the Lord is. You know, you've probably noticed, and not that you'd want to, but you cannot talk to your elected officials every time you feel like it. And you can't even talk to your pastor any time you want to. But you and I can speak to Almighty God any time, all the time. Do you realize, I hope we leave here realizing that you and I, we have the Lord's undivided attention. He listens. Doug Renault leads our prayer team, and if you've been around Doug for very long, you've heard him say that we have a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. Psalm 143 teaches us that is absolutely true. It doesn't matter if your prayer is loud or silent. It doesn't matter if you pray a long prayer or a short prayer. It doesn't matter if you're eloquent or tongue-tied. He hears you. He answers you, even before you speak. Do you notice that when David addresses God, he calls him Lord? This is a title for you and I to use when we recognize and we even welcome his total authority over our lives. We recognize his absolute power. If Jesus is your Lord, then every promise we're going to read here in Psalm 143 is yours. It's yours. He's talking to you. If you do not know Jesus as Lord, then you're right now on the outside looking in. These promises are not for you right now, but they can be and they will be the instant you pray and ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. In Psalm 71, verse 5, David wrote this. He said, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Been my hope, sovereign Lord, and my confidence. The Lord is sovereign. His sovereignty has no limits. He's in control of absolutely everything. Even the trials we go through. So why does the Lord let us go through trials? Let me put uh, James 1, 2-4 on the screen. You, you know this passage well, I'm sure, but it's very appropriate to read why we go through trials. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, Lacking in nothing. Trials are the tools that the Lord uses to polish us and to perfect us. To make us everything he created us to be. I wish it was possible for us to be perfected by eating ice cream and watching football. I wish that was the way we got perfected. But the Lord who knows us better than we know ourselves sends us trials to perfect us and his way is best. Someone once asked, do you think you'd ever pray if you never faced a trial? Back to Psalm 143, verse 1. David prayed, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. A supplication is an urgent need. In North America, we call 911 when we have an urgent need for help. Psalm 143 is David's and it's our 911 call to the Lord. And please don't miss this important fact. I missed it as I was studying it. It's so obvious. It took me a long time to see it. 
don't miss this fact that David is speaking to the Lord while he's in the trial. The Lord doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up and pull ourselves together before he listens to us. The Lord was with David in the trial. He was right there so David could talk to him. Right there with David just like he's right here with you and I. I know when you encounter dark times, when you encounter the storms of life, it's easy to feel you're all alone. But you're not. Sometimes your feelings lie to you. The Word of God never lies. You are not alone. David also wrote this amazing insight. I'd like to put Psalm 34 on the screen, please. I'm saying I'm putting it on the screen. It's actually Jason putting it on the screen. I'm doing absolutely nothing to make it appear there. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from some of them. Is that what it says? The Lord delivers you from the easy ones, but the hard ones, you're on your own. The Lord delivers you from trials as he gets along, gets around to it. The Lord will deliver you from some of your trials, but if you've been asking for too much lately, he's going to let you wait a while. Is that what it says? You're going to have many trials, and the Lord promises to deliver you from all of them. We cannot expect to always be happy. Sometimes people preach, oh, come to the Lord and everything's fine. The Bible doesn't teach that. We don't teach that at this church. Everything's not always fine in the sense of how you feel. You're not always going to be happy. That's not very fun news. But the great news is the Lord promises to be with you in the trial and deliver you from every trial you face. So this means that believers and unbelievers, we all go through trials. The difference is that believers have the Lord's promise of deliverance. Because we have his promise of deliverance, This is why, this is how you and I can be in serious distress. We can be in desperate situation and still have hope and confidence because he's promised to deliver us every time. There's another prayer of David, uh, Psalm 56, verse 3. This is a prayer I have prayed more times than I can possibly count. Maybe you have too. Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I don't mind telling you, a lot of things in life scare me. There's a lot to be afraid of. I get fearful. I imagine you do too sometimes. We can't let our fears run away with us. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Our fears should be like alarm bells that send us closer to the Lord, not running away. Okay, let me read Psalm 143, verse 1, one more time. And I promise you we're not going to spend this much time on every verse because we have 11 more verses to go and I don't want you checking your watch thinking we're never going to get done. We're going to actually be done early and the worship team's going to lead us in a song at the end, so it's okay. One more time, though, because there's a lot here. 143, verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness in your righteousness. Faithfulness and righteousness, that doesn't just express who God, what God likes to do. It expresses who God is. God is faithfulness. He is righteousness. Tells us the characteristics, the natures of God. So when we pray, 
to a righteous and faithful God. We can know for certain every single answer he gives us is the right answer. It is impossible for God to send us down the wrong path. Every answer he gives us is the very best thing for us, even when it doesn't make sense at the time. Do you believe that? I have an example from this week I'd like to share about trusting the Lord when things don't make sense. I got a little behind in my sermon prep for this week, so I was looking forward to Wednesday as my catch-up day. So I got up early, got my computer out, got my books out, and I prayed, Lord, please bless my study. A moment later, I spilled hot coffee all over my open computer laptop keyboard. And that's when I discovered something about my computer. It does not seem to like Sumatra coffee. It shut down. It said, I'm not having any more of this. It shut down and would not come back on. Did I mention all my notes, all my work was in there? I did not have a backup. That quickly, everything I prayed for was gone. I asked the Lord to bless my study and he took it all away. I don't mind telling you that panic seized me at that moment. Real, honest-to-goodness panic. Panic mixed with prayer, though. I mean, (laughs) here I was preparing a message on stress, (laughs) and I lose all my work just a few days before I'm supposed to stand right here and speak to you dear people. I felt sick. I really did. My stomach was upset. But I knew the Lord was in control. I did not understand his answer. I didn't really appreciate his answer at that moment. But I accepted it and I trusted him. Turns out I had to leave my computer off all day. That's what the expert told me to do. Leave it off all day, which meant I lost the whole day of preparation. But with hope, the, the moisture would dry enough that I could turn the computer on just long enough to get my one file that I needed off my computer so I could put it on another computer to continue studying. And at the very end of the day, that's what happened. I was able to boot it up just long enough to get that one file, rescue it and put it on another computer. But I still lost the whole day. And right about that time, I got a text from Pastor Mark. His text read, how did your day go? (laughs) I am praying for you. I wrote back and I told him my computer story and then I I just ended my text by saying, I'm learning a lot about stress. I'm behind in my prep, but I'm trusting the Lord. Pastor Mark answered, dude, with three exclamation points. I'm so sorry. Glad you're trusting in the Lord. I'll pray harder. I wrote back, thank you. Tough day, but God is good. And then Pastor Mark wrote back one more text. And I want to share his text with you because to me it better summarizes the whole psalm than I could possibly do. So if you're going to take a note down, this might be the one to take. It's from Pastor Mark. He wrote, as crazy as it sounds, when it's all said and done, it will all make sense. The Lord amazes me that way. This is the blessing of trusting in a mighty God. 
trusting in a God that is faithfulness and is righteousness because when it is all said and done, it does all make sense. He does amaze me, and I'm sure he amazes you that way. Obviously, I'm here with a message, so he got me through. Verse 2. We're going to racing on to verse 2 now. And do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living is righteous. Daily, David freely admits his unrighteousness. He knows that the only way he can be delivered is by the Lord's righteousness, not his own. David may have also believed that he was going through trials because of some, some sin in his life, so he was confessing sin to the Lord because he wanted God's mercy, not his judgment. And that's, I'm sure, exactly what you and I want. We don't want the Lord to judge us. We want his mercy. We want his forgiveness. It's true that the Lord can use painful circumstances to bring us to repentance. That's absolutely true. But it's also true, as we saw in James, that God allows trials in our lives to perfect us, not to punish us. Verses 3 and 4. The enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled or distressed within me. Can you hear the crescendo of emotion in David's writing? Look at these words again. The enemy persecuted my soul, crushed my life to the ground, made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. My spirit is overwhelmed. My heart is appalled. We do not know what enemy David is referring to, but you and I, we know our enemies because they're all around us. Our enemies, I have a short list of some of our enemies we face every day. Fear, our enemy fear that wants to cripple us. Depression wants to swallow us. Disappointment wants to break us. Bitterness wants to poison us. Pride wants to blind us. Heartbreak wants to ruin us. Sin wants to kill us. What on earth are we supposed to do when our problems mount up on us and our troubles have us surrounded and we feel crushed to the ground with no way out like David felt. What are we supposed to do? Verse 5 gives us the wonderful answer. Verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. When we're in the midst of a trial, when you're in the midst of a trial, sometimes is there, do you feel like there's nothing to che- around you to cheer you up? You can't see any reason to get your joy back. You look around you and it's dark. You look ahead and the road looks black. If we can't look left or right and we can't look ahead, we can look back. It's a good direction. Look back like David did. Remember the times in the past when you've been in difficult situations or severe trials in the past and the Lord has faithfully delivered you. We need to remember We need to remember. 
David meditated on the Lord's doings. Where can you and I find the Lord's doings? Right here. In the Word of God. The Lord has blessed us by filling these pages with all of His doings so we can see how faithful He is, has been in the past. And His book is full of promises for you and I for our present and for our future. So we can meditate on the Lord's doings. And David also mused on the work of his hands. Muse is a word we don't use too much anymore, but it means to be absorbed in thought. So David got absorbed in thought. He mused on the work of the Lord's hands like we need to. That's creation. We need to muse. We need to ponder. See if you can figure out in your small mind that the Lord spoke everything into existence. This entire universe came about by his word. He just spoke it and it appeared. And the Lord sustains this entire universe by the might of his will. Why do we want to muse on that? Because this is who we're talking to when we're in a problem. Sometimes when you pray, if you look up at the ceiling, do you feel like your prayers are just going into the ceiling? If you have a, maybe if you have that stuff that makes your house, what is that, insulation? Maybe it's just getting stuck in the insulation. You're just praying to the ceiling. Or maybe if you bow your head and you close your eyes, are you just praying in the darkness? No. We need to remember God Almighty, the creator of absolutely everything, the sustainer of absolutely everything, is listening to you so carefully. He hears your voice before you even speak. And he's right there with you in the trial. And of course he's going to help you. Of course he's going to rescue you. Of course he's going to see you through. So these three things that we have are memory, meditation, and musing. They're like three really good friends that show up at the right time to help us get our minds off of our problems and back on the Lord. When we dwell on our worries, we lose hope. Always happens. When you dwell on your worries, you lose hope. When we dwell on the Lord, we find hope. Verse 6. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land. So, David, after remembering the Lord's goodness, after meditating and musing on how powerful and mighty and wonderful and faithful God is, David can't help himself. He stretches out his hands to God like a crying child reaches out to a loving parent. Do you know what happens when we stretch our hands out to God? Do you know what we discover? We find out that he's already got his hands outstretched to us. He's right there with us. David tells the Lord, My soul longs for you as a parched land. A parched land is a drought-starved land. I think we all relate to that in Southern California. David was a thirsty, weary land, and a thirsty, weary land yearns for water just like David yearns for life-giving deliverance. When we're going through a trial, we yearn for the Lord to deliver us. Some of you are there right now. You're desperately yearning for the Lord to rescue you. Verse 6 marks the halfway point of David's prayer. If you notice in your Bible, the word selah is there at the end of the verse 6. We've studied before that that's a pause for reflection. This is just my imagination talking, so I don't know if this is true or not, but for me, I feel like David put a pause here because he needed to catch his breath. I think he was exhausted from his supplications to the Lord. I think his urgent prayers were draining him. Sometimes when we pray, our prayers empty us. But that's only so the Lord can fill us back up. Verse 7. I love verse 7. 
I am so grateful for verse 7. Thank you, Lord, for verse 7. Answer me quickly or speedily. Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Isn't it great we can ask the Lord to hurry his answer to us? Answer me right away, Lord. I'm hanging on by my fingernails. Answer me quickly. To ask the Lord to answer you quickly is not a prayer of impatience or impertinence. It's a prayer of great hope. Do you see what this passage is teaching us? It's teaching us that the Lord's mercy has wings. He sends his mercy flying to us when we pray for him to answer us quickly. Now this does not mean that every time we pray, God's going to solve our problem immediately. But I will tell you, from my own experience, I have prayed and the Lord has solved my problems immediately. I'm sure he's done the same for you. What it means, when we ask the Lord to answer us quickly, it means that the Lord will quickly give us what he knows we need in that moment. Because it's in this moment where the Lord meets us, and I'm trying very hard to learn that. I'm always looking ahead. I'm always thinking ahead. But it's in this moment where the Lord teaches us. It's in this moment where the Lord can bless us. And so it's in this moment that he will give us what he knows we desperately need. And if he leaves us in that trial a little while longer, it's only because he knows we need to stay in that trial longer because he has more to teach us. But suddenly we find in the trial we have strength we didn't know we had because we didn't have that strength a moment ago. He's given it to us. Or we find a passage of Scripture or a passage of Scripture comes to mind and it is the perfect one we need in that moment to revive our soul. Or someone drops by with a perfect word of encouragement or a perfect text. Or someone to cry on their shoulder. Countless ways that the Lord answers us quickly when we pray. David also prayed, do not hide your face from me or I will become like those who go down to the pit. God's face means his attention. The thought of losing the Lord's attention made David shudder. He felt like he would die. David saw his relationship with the Lord as a matter of life or death because it is. I hope you see that relationship that way too. Verse 8. I love verse 8. I love them all. Verse 8 is wonderful. Look at this. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Our trials can make us deaf. So much noise of worry going on in our head, we can't hear the word of God. Your troubles get noisier at night? Mine do. Do you have trouble sleeping? Sometimes, toss and turn all night. David prays, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning. What a sweet wake-up call. I have an alarm. I hate that alarm. (laughs) I tried to put music on my phone. I thought that would be more fun. No, it's not more fun. I hate anything that wakes me up in the morning. (laughs) But I do like to wake to the sound of the Lord's loving kindness. Loving kindness is God's love poured out to us in his kindness. It includes his peace, his joy, his hope, his strength, his comfort, and so much more. (coughs) In Psalm 5, verse 3, David clearly used the morning as a way to start his day right. He said, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. 
Here's some practical advice from the Word of God. How we start off our day is important, especially when we're in a trial or we're in trouble or we're in distress. How we start our day is important. Do we begin with more worry or more prayer? If we begin our day, open our eyes, and before our feet hit the floor, we're already worrying and stressing. That's probably going to stay with us the whole day. If we open our eyes and before our feet hit the floor, if we are praying and giving our day to the Lord, and like David, looking expectantly for his answer, that joy, that expectation will stay with us all day. And David prays, Teach me the way in which I should walk, for I lift my soul to you. David's soul was heavy. This was heavy lifting for David to lift his soul to the Lord. But he didn't ask the Lord to show him the easy way out. Father, show me the back door. Show me a shortcut. He prayed to be taught the right way to walk. David knew that his troubles would cause him to come closer to the Lord, and therefore he knew his troubles were the very thing he needed to teach him to walk more closely with the Lord. We all need to be taught how to walk closely with the Lord. Why do we need to be taught that? Because... If we're honest, you and I are better at wandering away than we are at walking closely. So we need to be taught, and that teaching takes a lifetime. All of us, every single one of us, are students of the Lord. None of us are graduates until we get to heaven. Verse 9, deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Our Lord is our refuge. He's our rock. He's that safe shelter we go to in the storm. I think of the song, uh, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Do you ever want to hide? You look at the day outside and you, I just don't want to face that day. I need to hide. Hide in the Lord. He's offering that. Hide in the Lord. When we're under attack, we have two choices, you and I. We can stand there and we can slug it out on our own. And the Lord will allow you to take it on your own if you want. Or we can hide in him. We can go to our fortress. We can run to our shelter. I used to picture that when I was younger. I pictured the Lord's shelter like his hands coming around me. I I still feel that way, but lately I feel more like it's his hand lifting me up so my enemies can't reach me. Either way, we're protected. And I don't know if he lifts me up or he just closes me off, but either way, we have our Lord. He can protect us in the storm. Verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. J. Vernon McGee says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God, should be the daily prayer of every child of God. You and I should start our day every day with that prayer. Lord, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. This is David's second request for teaching. And did you notice he didn't pray, teach me to know your will? He said, preach me to do it. Teach me to do it. If you have children at home or around children, if you have rules of the house, you don't want them to know the rules. You want them to follow the rules. Do what I told you to do. So even while suffering, even while scared to death, David wanted to obey the Lord in his struggles. He wanted the Lord to teach him everything he needed to learn, even in deep waters. I've prayed that many times myself, haven't you? Lord, if I'm going through this, teach me what I need to learn, please. I'm kind of selfish for praying that. I I want to learn it this time because I really don't want to go through it again. Teach me. When you want to learn something important, don't you want to find the best teacher you can possibly find? 
Well, so who's our teacher? Who teaches us these things? Who teaches us to walk according to his word? Who does that? Please turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to see, we're going to learn what Jesus said about our teacher, the Holy Spirit. This passage comes from a time when Jesus was, was with his disciples in the upper room in what we call the Last Supper, the night before he went to the cross to give his life for you and me. And he is comforting his disciples, just like he is comforting you and I right now by telling us this. Verse 15 of chapter 14 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, you will do my will. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, that is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. And then jump down to verse 25. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Holy Spirit is our teacher. God gives us his own spirit to teach us. So, if you want to be everything, that God created you to be, the Holy Spirit will see to it that you reach your goal. It'll take your lifetime, but he'll see to it that you reach your goal. At the end of verse 10, David prays, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. This is another great prayer for us every day. It means, Lord, show me your path to victory through this painful maze of life. Give me level ground to walk. Remember, when he goes through severe trials, it doesn't mean we're on the wrong path. Yes, sometimes the Lord will use pain to get us back on the path if we've wandered off, but the right path that the Lord chooses for us also includes severe trials that he uses to perfect us, not punish us. In verse 11, for the sake of your name, Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. David prays, revive me or put new life in me. Sometimes do you feel like it's hard to catch your breath when you're going through trouble? The Lord is the only one that can give us life and he's the only one that can revive our life and restore it and make us whole again. And David appealed to the Lord's name. His name means who he is and what the Lord wants to do is he wants to pour his love and mercy out on us. David knew that, so he appealed to God. I know who you are. I know how much you love us. So please, in your love, make me whole. Revive me, save me. And he will. He will. Verse 12. In your loving kindness, in your unfailing love, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. Sometimes our enemies are flesh and blood enemies, but our most deadly enemies are the sins that want to afflict our soul. We don't have to fight our enemies because Jesus took care of that on the cross for us. I'd like to put Romans 6.6 on the screen, please, just to remind us of how Jesus answered this prayer of David. It says that we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that, we, that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. At the end of verse 12, look how David closes his prayer. These are odd words on the surface for a mighty warrior and the king of Israel to say, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your servant? That's how David saw himself, a servant? He was king. Why did he see himself as a servant? 
Thomas Watson was an English Puritan in the mid-1600s, and he wrote, It's more honor to serve God than to have kings serve us. David said, called himself a servant because David knew there's no higher calling in life than to serve the Most High God. Now, you might have a really cool title where you work. You might be the king of your empire or queen. You might be the boss, a general, a supervisor. You might be a pastor, a missionary, a world leader. You might be a world champion. But the most precious title anyone can have is to be a servant of the Lord. A servant does his master's will, not perfectly, but willingly. To be the Lord's servant means we want what he wants. We eagerly want to do all the work he has called us to do. It means we are in this life for him, not for ourselves. And our highest goal is to become all that he created us to be. Are you his servant? That's what Psalm 143 is asking us. Are you his servant? Brian, why don't you bring your team back up? We're going to have one more song. As they're coming up, let me just, this is a big psalm. Let me just review a few of the things we saw in Psalm 143. It teaches us that trials can be devastating for every one of us. When we pray, the Lord hears us and answers us. When we reflect on God's goodness in the past, when we reflect on his word, we find hope for the present and the future. We see that God's mercy has wings. He quickly answers us when we call. Only the Lord can deliver us from our troubles. The Lord uses painful trials sometimes to perfect us. And when all is said and done, there's nothing higher than being the Lord's humble servant. That's Psalm 143. I am sure some of you here today are going through trials in your life, painful ones. If you would like prayer for what you're going through, our prayer team is going to be right over here after this last song, and they would love to pray with you. They would love to pray with you for anything that is going on in your life. And if in this message today you are hearing about the Lord and you realize you don't know the Lord like that and you would like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Pastor Mark is in the back. I'll be here. Our prayer team's right there. Speak to us. We'd love to introduce you to the Lord and Savior that has all these promises for you. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we just love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 143. Lord, it's enough that you sent your son to die, but you love us so much, you incline your ear to us. Your your ear is right by our, our mouths as we speak to you. Thank you, Father, for hearing us when we call. Thank you that your mercy has wings. How many times have you rescued us from trouble? Go with us now, Lord, and I pray we leave changed. Don't let us leave the same way we came in. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.